0: Hey there, this is food writer Jamie Lewis, welcoming you to another episode of the Consumed Podcast, where I hold candid and casual conversations with people across California's Central Coast, the ones who put food on our plates and drinks in our glass. I'm so glad you're here. Before we get to this episode's guest, I want to share a word from Consumed Sponsors. We all know eating fruits and veggies is an important part of staying healthy. Fresh, local produce has the most flavor and nutrition, but how do you know what's in season locally? Become part of the Tally community as a member of the Tally Farms box program. Tally grows their produce and partners with other California farmers to include the freshest and best tasting local produce you can find anywhere. Farming on the Central Coast since 1948, the Tally family created the Tally Farms Box to make healthy eating easy and affordable. Here's how it works. Select which size box you want, then choose pickup or home delivery and how often you want to get your box. It's flexible for customization and vacation holds, and included in all boxes are tested recipes and storage recommendations. Come be a part of Tally's healthy lifestyle. Visit TalleyFarmsBox.com and use promo code CONSUMED for $10 off your first box. That's promo code CONSUMED for $10 off. Eat fresh, eat local, and eat lots of California fruits and veggies for better health. Slow Life Magazine also sponsors the Consumed podcast. Slow Life looks at what's going on in San Luis Obispo, including the arts, real estate, business, and the people impacting culture here. For the magazine, I just wrapped up writing my food column about the restaurant Pekin Coastal Cocina in Pismo Beach, where I ate swordfish tacos dusted with house-made savory pop rocks. What? So fun, so new, and so fizzy. To read all about it and much more, get your copy at slowlifemagazine.com. So I recently read The Full Belly Files, which is written by a consumed alum, wine writer Matt Ketman in Santa Barbara. And who should he be writing about but none other than Santa Maria Valley vintner James Onaveros of Ranchos de Onoveros Vineyards, another consumed alum and sponsor of this podcast. About James, Matt wrote, "Onaveros is a wealth of fascinating information, whether of the region's lore, his cowboy days, or his outlook on the future challenges of the wine industry. I'm hoping he'll agree to be a cover story one day. Hmm, I'm hoping the same. Thank you to James Onaveros for keeping the history and heritage of the Central Coast alive and well through his wines at Ranchos de Onaveros. And thank you to Matt Ketman for recognizing a good cover story when he sees it. To learn more about Ranchos de Oniveros' Burgundy-centered Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, visit ranchosdeonoveros.com. Okay, on to the episode. In 2019, a film came to my local art house theater called The Biggest Little Farm, a documentary about how one couple left their busy lives in Los Angeles to build a farm on dead land in Park, California. That may sound dry, but the film is absolutely hypnotic as we watch John and Molly Chester regenerate and reclaim what was barren into a very alive, healthy, and abundant place. The story of Apricot Lane Farm, a.k.a. The Biggest Little Farm, won lots of awards and lots of hearts, including mine. John and Molly also have a follow-up film on Disney Plus called The Biggest Little Farm, The Return, and they're currently filming a 12-part series also for Disney Plus. My kids and I traveled down to Moore Park to meet Molly Chester and talk about how she and John arrived at Apricot Lane Farm and about the deep truths that emerge in regenerative agriculture if we're willing to see them and yeah, we were a little starstruck. Here's Molly Chester. I'm sitting with Molly Chester at this long, beautiful table um, at Apricot Lane Farms. Did you, when you bought the place, was that a quick decision for you to name it that? Apricot Lane Farms? No,
1: it was, um, it actually, our partners came up with the idea and the, where he pulled that from was that there were apricot trees lining the entranceway, which we've sensed they were kind of old and senescing. Yeah. And so we've put in fresh ones, but they were always there. So it was an apricot lane farms and he just sort of see it, saw it and acknowledged it. But what we also liked is that apricots were the dominant crop grown in this region. Oh. And they're, they were dry farmed back then which, um, so it's kind of an homage to what was for mm-hmm. this area. And we like that given our
0: kind of traditional foods focus yeah. in a lot of ways. So Well, and you've brought a lot of stone fruit here. Yes. So kind of tapping into that history here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because we did end up our fruit basket that's um, a large kind of, f- Feature On the farm, it has started with over 75 different varieties of fruit trees mm-hmm. and it's since been whittled down to what works and doesn't work, but there's still an unbelievable amount of variety there.
0: Yeah. And so yeah, it was kind of part of where we were headed. And that sounds like I mean, in the film, it's really clear that you love Stone fruit yeah, something that you just... I love food. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Stone fruit for sure too. Yeah, but I mean, it feels like you really went all in on stone fruit as something that you wanted to grow. Yeah,
1: it was definitely part of it. I mean, in that same block, there's different varieties of citrus too. There's um, a couple different grapefruits, a couple different oranges, um, Meyer lemons, Pink Eureka lemons. There's many different varieties of uh, mandarins. So Mm -hmm. it's just... I just... California is so amazing that you can grow anything. So at the beginning, it was like, let's grow anything that we could possibly grow. And then now we've matured in the sense of having a deeper and more thorough understanding of what when you listen closely, wants to be grown here Mm because there's subtleties to California that we don't always see because it's so willing. Yeah,
0: Um, (laughs) It is so willing. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and so we've started to listen more deeply in that and then make choices that are um, beneficial for water and things like that. So So
0: you speak with affection about California. Are you um, not Native? I am not Native. I don't know why I... I intuited that. I don't know, maybe because of your like exuberance about the fact that you can grow anything (laughs) here. It's, it doesn't feel like, um, it feels like a gift, you know? Yeah. So where are you from? So I was born in, uh, outside of Pittsburgh,
1: Pennsylvania, or really in, it was North Hills and Pittsburgh. And then I was raised mostly in Atlanta. We Mm -hmm. moved there when I was nine. And so I did get Definitely two different climates with those. Then moved to Baltimore when I met John, and then we moved together out to Santa Monica. So I am really an East Coast girl and Mm -hmm. love the East Coast because I do like uh, the dramatic... Four seasons that they'll get here because we get four seasons we here do. too. It's true. There yeah. Many seasons,
0: maybe more, but mostly like four. 15 seasons. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, John, then you met in Baltimore. What was he doing there? I met him actually in New
1: Orleans. We had oh. kind of one of those Kismet uh, stories of just um, happening to meet each other at this conference that we were both happened to be at. That there's really no reason why I should have been there at the time, but. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, we are long distance and then yeah. visited and then it was kind of the rest is history. Cause we have been together for, I was 24 when we found each other. So yeah. I was little, I mean, now that I think back like 24, I was a baby. And that was yeah. the beginning of kind of my life. That's with when my I got partner. married 24, my yeah. husband and
0: I. Yeah. And it's cool. We are celebrating our 20th anniversary and it's, um, It's amazing to have done life together, you know, instead of meeting up there. Of course, there's nothing wrong with any of it, but it's been cool to think about our adventures having been together. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So how long have you been married then? We
1: got married in 2008. Okay. So I yeah. am ter- John and I are both terrible about remembering our anniversary. And <laughs> my mother often or his mother will like text us happy anniversary. And it helps us remember that it's the anniversary. Gosh. That's terrible. We should celebrate more. We sometimes get into the mix of life and forget the celebration yeah. part. But we, um, we have been married that long. And the cool something is kind of like how things are written before... When you don't know. And we got married on summer solstice. Mm. We had our uh, reception at a place called solstice. Mm. And we didn't even really connect the fact that we were on the summer solstice at that point of our life. And now the summer solstice is such this defining date for us. Because as soon as the earth kind of tips over summer solstice, you can feel it. I mean, it's such yeah. a change. Literally, like the day it starts going back down the hill, you can the feel the difference. The light changes, the air changes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but we we didn't really know then. And there was a um, the uh, chef that was at Solstice Restaurant had a tattoo of Alice Waters on his arm who just wrote the foreword for the cookbook. So there were all these little things that were kind of already playing out that we didn't really understand.
0: Foreword for which cookbook?
1: Oh, there's a cookbook coming out this fall on October 25th. I didn't do that knowingly. I wasn't really? like,
0: hey, which cookbook? No, I really, I wanted to know. Yeah. Oh,
1: wonderful. So yeah. yes, there. Um, there's a book called The Apricot Lane Farms Cookbook. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a labor of love because we started off this um, farm with that kind of idea of uh, how food affects the way you feel and really trying to understand that. And then when you go so deep into that and understand first step is maybe what the farmer's role in that. And then really what the relationship with mother nature and how that informs uh, a diet that's actually going to be healing for the humans eating it. So when you go down that rabbit hole, it takes you so far away that I didn't really even know if I would come back to the, um, writing of a cookbook and things like that. But then After the film came out, an opportunity came our way. And we have a beautiful culinary team here at the farm that Mm -hmm. I'd been working with all through the years of collecting recipes and things. So we decided to go for it. Mm -hmm. And um, labor of love maybe isn't right because it was so joyful. (laughs) But labor of, sometimes labor can not be that bad either. If you're into it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And if the doors are opening. Yeah. So it was, um, it was a wonderful process and it, I hope that when it comes out, the team really feels themselves in the reflection of the pages Mm because we spent so much time really interviewing and collating this information from across the farm. So it's more than a cookbook. Yes. And it has this beautiful illustrations in it that was um, Andy Reville, who was a former gardener of ours. She came to me when we were hiring for a graphic design position once and said, hey, I actually can do graphic design. And when I looked at it, she was the most amazing mm. botanical illustrator. Ugh, so we which started. Which is such an art form. I love it. Yeah. She's so amazing. And so she drew for the book, all the chickens on the farm with their beautiful colored of eggs, all the avocados, all the citrus and more. And so just to have the depth in the team kind of reflected, yeah. it really took the, ele- well, it was maybe 10 years when we made it. It was this collection of 10 years of experience, yep. which got to kind of pour into the pages.
0: Yeah. So are there any photos in it or is it all illustrated? No, it's
1: all, it's photos. We worked okay. with um, Ed Anderson, who's a beautiful uh, food photographer, mm-hmm. and he came to the farm and we shot it here. And so there's 75, I think, just, he's stunning in his, yeah. his work and uh, is able to capture kind of the... Um, there's, there's like a masculine, yet he reflected it so feminine, too, in the way that he did it. But there's this, like, strength mm-hmm. underneath mm-hmm. how he shoots. Mm-hmm. And so it was really fun to work with him. That was, like, couldn't have been more of a joy. Mm-hmm. And then it, I wrote it with a woman named Sarah Owens who... um is a beautiful writer that has uh, both of recipes and words, but she did a cookbook called Sourdough that mm-hmm. won a James Beard Award. Mm-hmm. She's done Heirloom, a couple other, Toast and Jam. And so, yeah, her just amazing um literary prowess was yeah. a part of the book as well. So.
0: Which I think I mean having watched Oh well thank you. Thank you. you. Oh, what on. nice bottles of water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. It's very fitting for for Apricot <laughs> Lane Farms. Um the style of cookbook writing right now and the way cookbooks are put together is so um it's really evolving and evolved from i mean the reason i asked if there are any photos is you know the old alice waters um, cookbooks are illustrated and they're just words and that was so common. fanny farmer you know all of those um and then as you watch it progress into i would say maybe the 80s when photography started coming into cookbooks so often it's like this very um textured kind of frosty pictures of food um you know and you think with like all of the props like a bottle of wine and but just photographed so differently and now I think it's more of a whole experience of you see I've said on this podcast before I love photo food photos where there's some decay involved where Mm -hmm. like maybe the meal is half eaten Mm um Or, um, I don't know, eggs cracked on the side or whatever, where it's a little bit more um, authentic. And then as to your point about um, more than a cookbook, Mm -hmm. when people buy cookbooks now, myself included, probably you too, you want a story there too. Mm -hmm. You want anecdotes and uh, more than just little head notes on each recipe. You want to really read and and ingest the whole story. Yes, for sure. For sure.
1: And it does, it's... It's got a lot of information mm-hmm. in it and stories. Yeah, that was kind of one of the layers was going through it and just infusing it with those personal anecdotes and yeah. personal um, memories from just living life here.
0: Yeah. What is your background? I know that you did, um, I mean, culinary is just a huge part of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you were a food blogger, um and always a cook, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. but did you do something else before that?
1: I very briefly, so I went to Georgia Tech in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and I went just because I didn't know what I wanted to do at all in life at that point, and they had a business school, so I thought, well, business is like a good base for <laughs> things, yeah. and when I went there, though the school is lovely, it was like my dad maybe was right when he called me right before I started going there and said, are you sure you don't want to be at a liberal arts school? Because <laughs> I did. It's not a liberal arts school. No. It's perfect if you want to be an engineer. But I um, I came out of that just kind of knowing then what I'm not in some yeah. ways. And so I started trying to pursue anything that I had a little bit of interest in because I figured what you focus on can then expand. And I, so I had a glimmer of being interested in the entertainment industry at that mm. point. And mm-hmm. so I, I worked for the, for a lawyer for a year and then I worked in the entertainment industry, which I think was, I, you know, was an associate producer. I think it was really only to find John because <laughs> oh. then when John and I came together, we worked on a project together that was super fun, old project called random one for Amy. And, um, but then after that, the the whole time during that, I was cooking yeah. and really found my love in that. And so as soon as it was over, I said to John, OK, I'm out of here. I'm going to culinary school. So I went up to New York to a school called the Natural Gourmet Institute of Health and Culinary Arts, nice. which teaches you 60 uh, percent how to cook and then 40 percent you're in the classroom learning the health supportive aspects of the food, which wow. is really I never had this draw to be the next. Top chef. You know, Mm -hmm. I really wanted to just understand how food affects the body. And I loved that school. It's now, I think, rolled into another school. So you can't. What city is it in? It's in Chelsea, in New York City. Oh, it's in the city. It's right in downtown. Yeah. And, but it was just the best experience. It was the first time in my life where I experienced what it's like to be with your people in that way, or to find people that also had similar interests than you. I think I'd been swimming upstream for a while and Mm -hmm. to be at a table where everybody had like a story about their love affair with food. It was like, Whoa, this can be really great. So I, um, did that. And then, but what was the, Oh, this was my life beforehand. So then I came back home and, um, just started private chefing I knew that's what I wanted to do so Mm -hmm. I spent time in Baltimore and then we moved together to LA because there's more of a market for private chefing out in LA and John was working on a project with a producer out here Mm. and we um yeah just I enjoyed private chefing for many years I didn't know what was next I kind of had an inkling that I probably wouldn't do that forever though I loved it um and But I had no idea that it would be this farm. But through that whole journey, I just started learning about the deeper layers of how to really nourish somebody with food. And it became about learning the techniques from the cultures that didn't disconnect from Mother Earth and yeah. what they would do to be able to maximize nutrient density, both from their techniques of growing the food and yes. then into the kitchen. and in the kitchen, you know, you have lots of tools to soak, sprout, ferment, and do things to be able to maximize that nutrition. So I really loved, and I've always loved, um, giving someone food and then hearing things like, I feel good Mm -hmm. at the end of it. You know, that's what matters to me more so than it being super edgy or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, I spent that time cooking for people and then the process of trying to find the type of food that I wanted to cook with in the kitchen made me realize there were some holes yeah. in what was offered, and we talked about what if we raise our own uh, chickens for eggs, and we were thinking like ten acres, and then we met <laughs> our partners, and it blew it into a whole nother stratosphere that I wasn't <laughs> anticipating. But I used to say, I just want one lemon tree in our backyard,
0: oh <laughs> so I, which like is a pretty overshot. Modest. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we were as uh, as we were driving. Here to the farm. Um, so the kids, my my two kids, had seen the film when it came out, and then uh, they actually watched it on the way down here to kind of reacquaint. Because I, you know, there's something beautiful about your mom taking, having access to things and like just sub- immersing them in it. And um, I think they're a little starstruck. Right Aww. Now. <laughs> but, oh, that's funny. But it's so great. You know, the moment they finished the film and were driving around. On the way here, my daughter, it's um, very obvious to her. She's very observant. She's like, look between the rows of these lemon trees. The ground is hard. Yeah, There's no grass. There's nothing there. And when it rains, it's not going to soak. You know, she just really, like, if your goal was to educate people, it for sure worked. At Yay! least with her. The um, kids,
1: it's amazing how they are such sponges for the They really are. They are. Yeah. But
0: she said... There's so many lemon trees, don't you know, we're spoiled because we have a lemon tree yeah. across the street from us. We have another one on our property. Citrus just gr- grows like crazy in San Luis as it does here. And so it's funny to me that all you wanted was a lemon tree because we for sure take it for granted. Yeah, I know. You know, with the citrus yeah. that we have it's access true. to. It's true. Yeah. Yep. I love so that. where then if, I don't know if you can speak for John, but I'm curious about, I mean, he clearly had... He has his chops with filming animals. Yeah, yeah. Where sure. I mean that that is a huge benefit to the film. So where did that start for him?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, one thing people might not know is this farm did not start with a vision to create filming around what we were doing. We, he was ready to leave the industry, but then to back up, I mean, he's had a camera in his hands since he was maybe, I forget, it's like six or seven years old. Someone got him something. And then from that point on, he was just obsessed. I mean, he built an entire, uh, filming studio in his high school with donated things and then Mm -hmm. went on from there to make many films that are beautiful. One of my favorites is a film called Lost in Socket that, um, is still active in the community of alcoholism. It's, um, it really has a lot of impact on people. Mm -hmm. Um, But then When we came to the farm, I mean, he was ready to to walk away from the industry. It's really hard to do um, things like he had worked on a film about uh, a musician. So there's so many or it's it was actually about a rock and roll photographer, Mm -hmm. but there were so many clearances to do. And there's just so much to the business side of what it is that it was really wearing him out. And so, yeah, he was done. And he'd always, he'd worked on family farms growing up. I knew like what I wanted us to grow and kind of where I wanted us to head. So he just kind of came on board to, to do what we did. Now, as far as at some point, he got approached by the Oprah Winfrey Network to do these little pieces about the farm. He just mm. They wanted him to do these little pieces, and he said, I'm farming. And they said, well, do it about the farm. So he did, mm. and they were really successful. He actually won many Emmys for what really? he had done. And so then that, this footage started accumulating. That was maybe year three, year four. And by year five, he started to say, oh. I can't believe it, but I actually want to do something. I'm making us film is, whether I want yeah, to or not. Yeah, this is so, what's happening here is so beautiful. And it was really inspiring him because mm. I think I went in with that like unbridled optimism and he maybe had a little bit more skepticism about where we were headed. So when he started to see it change, then he was profoundly moved in a way mm. that gave him inspiration of what to share. Right. So, um, but a, a very, another kind of kismet thing was that when the farm first started, he had to finish out a project he had committed to, and it was to work as um, photographing or documenting animal vets Mm -hmm. in uh, Africa. So he watched them, you know, flush out abscesses and do so much during that time. And he even learned about um, just like ecosystem management. And so whenever he came back here, he came with what, you know, he He had had learned. learned. And so we were able to apply a lot of that. Um, but he's also someone that just like, can both of us will kind of dive in. We both, and we both are just, I think where we, um, understand each other a lot is we've worked really hard in our life. Mm -hmm. You know, we just sort of started off and it was like, okay, what's next, what's next, what's next. And just trying to, we always wanted to live a life where we got to do the things that it creatively inspired us. Mm-hmm. And so we
0: would work really hard to make sure that that was preserved. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Well, um, it is really interesting the different skills that, you know, Kismet or not mm-hmm. came together mm-hmm. to make the farm possible, but then also to communicate about the farm because it has such a greater impact now that it's spread and it's won awards mm-hmm. and it's been on the film festival circuit. And um, there's something important about, I mean, we talk about it all the time in in um, the writing industry, copywriting, that there are people who do such amazing things, such incredible things. But if they can't communicate about it, it kind of just stays with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have a really big impact, there has to be somebody around who sees that, creates a vision, and then is able to communicate it. So the film really... It really does that. It educates, but it entertains, and it, I mean, it pulls pulls at heartstrings. Um, and it was family friendly, you know, yeah. the fact that people could show it to their kids. I mean, some of the scenes are hard, totally. But um, and I think if my kids were here right now to ask, I mean, I think they would probably ask about the difficult parts of farming. Had you ever, had you ever had to put an animal down in your life before you came here? Um, we I
1: had pets and things uh, where I had to face that truth, but um, that's really it was very intentional that some of those harder things are included because what you realize when you start farming is, or at least what I realized was, um, wow, I have to face the process of grief a lot more when I'm connected mm-hmm. in with Mother Nature, and um, perhaps. I would venture to say that's something that our society or our human ecosystem could use that reconnection mm-hmm. that there's so much to learn from that and um so yes it's hard to do that but what children seem to be able to process that type of pain mm-hmm. more so than you know what you see in game uh, video games and things with just like yeah. un the, like death that's like not stylized. Has no, yeah, exactly. Oh, and yeah. so this is hard, but they're hard truths that children are able to wrap their brains around. Mm-hmm. They, they're more connected to um, the core at that mm-hmm. age. And so they're able to like make sense of it and that making sense of it then keeps them connected to the cycle of life. And that like, whatever our diet is that we choose to eat um, that connection to the cycle of life uh, is, it's important for that to stay intact because there is no way to escape that. Even when we raise vegetables, there's animals and, um, insects and things that die in the growing of that. And so we have, we have to remember that then, um, and then whatever we choose to do beyond that is, you know, personal choice that, has a role in the greater yes exactly
0: and it's interesting you say that because I hadn't connected they are vegetarian um and I think that that comes from that grief Mm -hmm. about the death process and and actually the film is really good for that because there's a moment where um one of your dogs Um, kills one of the chickens on the farm. I'm sure it's happened many more times than Mm -hmm. once. But um, my daughter was like, why would the dog do that? There's a lot of talk about, you know, wild animals coming Mm -hmm. and killing your animals. But then this is a moment when one of your own animals kills another animal. And it was so good for her to see that and for us to talk about it because it's important to mention that there is a kill instinct in animals Pets, you know, we have a couple of cats. They're mousers. I mean, we have to sure. be really clear about that. That humans do have a choice, but um, but animals do not. This is in them. This is part of their programming. Um, and I feel like the film opens up conversations like that in a really special way. Yeah,
1: I think so too. There's such um, there's a role to all of it, and there's a there. Mother nature can be. For sure, there's a brutal aspect when we look at it through our human lens, but the further we get connected into nature and you start to see the patterns and understand that that is vital for the, the proliferation of life and for the advancement of life is to be able to, um, kind of prune the way that the, uh, trees get pruned in the wind. Like there's, it's all purposeful and Mm -hmm. so rhythmic and we just have separated ourselves out um in a way that can perhaps have judgment attached to it and so if we instead look to um really understand that judgment we might be humbled into the the greater sphere of how things operate and within that then we don't have to be so reliant upon some of the chemical means that we've um turned to to try to avoid that truth mm-hmm. and because um, there's really only two ways to fertilize uh plants and that is through petroleum-based uh fertilizers or, or animal
0: or something and dead. so yeah, to right.
1: embrace the animal and then in the reality of animals there's Um, if there's not predator prey relationships, then it becomes very unmanageable. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's hard to really look at those things and it forces that deep grief that maybe is an underlying truth of being human. Um, but when we separate from it, we
0: can perhaps make a lot of challenges or create a lot of challenges, right. Or like numb ourselves off to it. It's actually a really good segue. So I had taken some quotes from the film and, um, that you mentioned the word humble humility is a huge theme i mean you know whether you both intended to be humbled or not you were <laughs> of <for> sure. <laughs> so um i'm just going to read some of the quotes cuz they're just so beautiful um So And this is all John's writing, which is really special. Mm -hmm. So why is a coyote lying paralyzed in the garden? The best I can tell, the coyote was chasing a gopher along the fence and hit an irrigation line, breaking both the pipe and his neck. It's a heartbreaking realization. The coyote might not be just a pest. He may very well be our friend. Another couple um, really moving ones. He says, whenever I look up at the Milky Way, I feel so captivated by its complexity, and yet it's easy to forget that Earth is a part of it. It's almost impossible to grasp that I actually spin inside of that which I see. Now on this little farm, there are up to 9 billion organisms. And you can really hear his voice get excited here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 9 billion microorganisms churning away at decaying life forms. Purpose-driven organisms alchemizing death to life in just one clump of healthy soil. Everything that dies gets broken down into nutrients and minerals to feed plants. Our farm is energized entirely by the impermanence of life. I mean... I don't know if you, have you ever read like Pema Chodron or, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah. the When things fall apart or something yes. she has, that got me through a very hard time in life. Same. <laughs> Living beautifully with uncertainty and change is my breath yeah. <laughs> of choice from her. But I mean, these statements are so clearly intertwined with not just, the farm is, it's, um, it's an example, a good example. I think mm-hmm. a regenerative farm is a good example or a good metaphor for the rest of life, really, which is, I mean, we die. I think yeah. if anybody acknowledged that on a minute-by-minute minute basis, their life would look very different. Totally. Um, yeah. I was really moved by the It's poetry, but I, like I was telling you before we started rolling, as you watch the film, it's so easy to just get immersed in the feelings and not realize this beautiful writing that's being narrated over the top of it. Yeah. It's really meaningful. Somebody could have made a film about the difficulty of of um starting a regenerative farm regenerating a big piece of property but um but i like that you you all took it to a different level really incorporating that with the humility of being an a limited a finite being on yeah. a dynamic planet mm-hmm. um so one of the things one of the most important things about that is your friend Alan York mm-hmm. who was the mentor who really um helped helped you design this big organism. How did you meet Alan?
1: Yeah. Alan, first of all, thank you for all the nice things you said there Mm. about the farm. And John is an amazing, I think he's more of just like a philosopher and uses the application of what's in front of him to be able to share truths that ring to him. And he thinks very, very deeply. That's Mm -hmm. one thing about John is just he goes all the way to the bottom in his thought process. Um, But then Alan so Alan York was a biodynamic consultant who had worked around the world. I did not know of him because I really was not very plugged in with um, both the biodynamic and regenerative community at that point. But when we had started um, and there wasn't even a regenerative back then, actually, it was not something that, <laughs> that really wasn't a word, was wasn't, it <laughs> now? And so when we started looking at, okay, what are we going to do with this land? I knew that I wanted to be organic. But then when I started looking into what organic means, it just was basically, you can't use this chemical, but you can use this less, more natural chemical. Um, and so it didn't, there wasn't that like a uh, draw of inspiration for mm. me. I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out there just was something missing so i kept looking and i'd heard of biodynamics from a conference that i'd been at so i went on their website and read their standards um and then read Rudolf steiner who's the mm-hmm. founder of biodynamics he had done an agricultural talk so i got that and read it which I should go back now and read it again. Um, Wait,
0: you saw Steiner himself? No, no, no. Oh Steiner gosh, I, Path- yeah, right. Okay, yeah. Yes. no, no.
1: But it, um, but he had had. There's a written version of his agricultural oh, lecture, yes. And so I read that for what I could absorb of it, because yeah. it. But it actually, it, I was surprised when I read it. Is you know, it is speaking truths that you can pick up on. But I'm sure if you read it once a decade, you would pick up more yeah. truths out of it. Yeah. But anyway, so I I looked at all this stuff and it just felt. Like um, it was something that you could work towards for a lifetime, that it was always gonna be inspiring you. And essentially now what I understand is the reason why I was feeling that way is it was just further connected to mother nature. Yeah. Cause the, the inspiration, that's where it's coming from. That's where, um, reconnecting with the potential of nature is mm-hmm. what we do every day whenever we wake up and that's our greatest teacher. So anyways, I looked into that, decided that we were going to do try this biodynamic thing. Cause it was, um, the only thing that was speaking that language. It also connects into the cosmos, which I yeah. found really interesting. Yeah. So I talked with Demeter, which is the organization that certifies, and he they sent out um, their, a guy named Jim Fulmer, who's a good friend of ours, that came out to the farm, who was running the organization at that point. And he looked at it and he said, this is an Alan York project. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, bring and out so, the big guns. <laughs> yeah. And so I had been asking him for some sort of consultant because I didn't know. And so Um, so yeah, I talked to Alan and he spent the next like probably month telling me why I didn't want to work for him and how hard it Mm. is to do what we were going to do and, uh, tried to talk me out of kind of working with him. And and finally, one day I just said, Alan, like I have made my decision. This is done. We want to go in this direction. So he did, he came out and he, we had such kind of a kindred, um, energy to us. He felt like a, like a, just like a good buddy we yeah. and yet he was really hard on on me and john um both he had very high standards so always by like thursday of the week that he came i would have like a huge headache and then friday <laughs> it would break and i would be <laughs> like this is so great but it was hard and yeah yeah and so we learned so much from him. I was trying to keep us on task and being very type A, and John would like try to sit down and really understand the soil in that way. We used to early on say, "Isn't it funny? It wasn't early on, maybe five years in we noticed that when we were driving around, I was always looking up at the tree, and John was always looking down at the soil oh, and it's funny. sort of and now it's kind of merged together where both of us care about both things a lot more, yeah. but that's where we started.
0: Oh, that's such an interesting observation, yeah. I really like um, learning about how, so you came at it wanting food, mm-hmm. and it sounds like John came from a background of having worked on family farms and things yeah. like that, so maybe it was a, like a deep-seated longing for him. But It's a bit of a lifestyle he just yes. enjoyed, and he
1: likes the wild elements yeah. of the natural world, and so yeah. he was
0: drawn by that. Well, so so you, you have these goals. I mean, at the most tangible level, you wanted food. So you yeah. could cook the amazing things you wanted to make. But then in order to have that, you had to back up a level. You needed to have the soil. Mm-hmm. And in order to have that soil, you had to plant these certain kinds of plants and own these animals. Mm-hmm. And it all would work together. But I'm sure when you were like... I just want a lemon tree. I'm sure you weren't thinking, and I need a pig, and I need these bulls, and I need all these, you know, however many chickens. How many is it now? How many
1: chickens? chickens. Oh, I don't know. We're probably... How many chickens? Maybe fifteen hundred chickens, <gasps> somewhere in that range. Oh my
0: yeah. gosh! Because I think didn't you got your first yeah. box of chickens? You're so excited! Exactly. Wow, fifteen hundred. Yeah, maybe somewhere in the thousand to fifteen hundred range. It's probably in amazing. There. Yeah. Amazing. Well, so just all these kind of like unintended. You had to back all the way up yes. to get what you wanted, and it took years. And is it still taking time to get what you want? Oh yeah, for sure. I or
1: maybe the. The what you want adjusts yeah. and changes because I think what I want now is to like just keep getting closer to mm-hmm. the source as close as I can because I'm so inspired by all that it is when you start to really feel the rhythms of nature. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm like a a broken record, but I had an experience to just give a little capsulation story mm-hmm. of that. Um, I'm in my 40s now and my nutritionist said, um, why don't you start taking Chase berry? It's good for balancing hormones and things. And so I tried it and my body did not like it at mm-hmm. all. And so I tried a little bit of the pill and then a little more. And finally I was like, this isn't for me. I'm not doing it. And I was down at the garden one day and there was this, I was looking at the um, Vitex tree and just like um, I don't know, admiring it and had little berries. So I looked up like the berries about it and I realized it's the chase berry. I was like, Oh my, oh my gosh, gosh, we grow it right here. So that fall I harvested it, dried it and made a tincture out of it and made a, um, a, a, uh, like kept it dry for tea. Mm-hmm. My body is completely fine with it. I can have it every single day.
0: Why do you think that's different?
1: I think it's from this land. Oh, that's interesting. the imprint that I'm connected yeah. with. That's giving it to me in the timing that my body wants and yeah. needs. And when you start absorbing those kind of truths and how much work we have to do to just understand this land. I mean, we yeah. have 15 people working on filming this land now for a, project that's coming up that I can tell you about. Mm -hmm. But so we're getting to see the smallest spider through their lens and the things we're learning about that small, small spider that help us understand this land. I mean, you can never get worn out from it. Like there's no end to the road. So then it's fun because then you can just get closer and closer. And the closer you get, and the more you understand it, the more you're in connection with it kind of like having a relationship with your animal where they mm-hmm. start to you, there's love the love just keeps blossoming
0: yeah that's okay so yeah. i hadn't intended to ask you this but in the film a cat wanders by at yes. one point we have cats and we we are cat people we're all things people but yes. um we love our kitties and so the kids you know they're sitting in the back and watching and then they go oh you know the cat yeah. goes by Things are so functional here with certain kinds of animals do, fulfilling certain roles. Yeah. Does a cat have a role oh, for on sure. a farm? Well, so, and I know they're mousers, but there's something about, there's affection there that's meaningful, right? I mean, just that there's more to it than just function. <laughs>
1: well, that's really funny that you say that because I, I teased that there's there is, so there was a special that came out actually maybe it was the story in the special oh gosh it's all running together to me but there's a special <laughs> on disney plus right now a 30-minute Ooh. special about apricot lane farms oh and awesome it's a continuation of the biggest little farm it was an earth day special but that's a tease because we have a 12-part series coming out that oh, will be word. in sometime in 2024 and um, but either this is terrible that I can't even remember if it was in the special or later. But John really dives into that truth of how you you have definitely cats have a role because you do need them as mousers. They're yeah. so amazing. But like Petey, who's the mouser around our hat, our house is totally a pet for us too. Mm. And it is okay to just have something that you love yeah. that brings you joy. And there is. All beings are respected on the farm as much as we humanly can, you know, um, have evolved to be able to have consciousness to do. Um, But they. Uh, there are certain that become the pet where then that is okay that you're choosing to have that life live long even if you are uh, a place that does raise uh, animals for meat both are respected but that bringing that joy from an animal that you get to learn about their little quirks and things that's a huge part of it and big
0: personalities. we have a
1: turkey that just became a fixture for the farm that we all loved this turkey it had a total personality so turkey the turkey lives at the barn (laughs) and will become a future episode I'm sure because this turkey is unbelievable I don't even want to spoil the stories once you start hearing them he's very auditory drawn so he goes to places where there's Uh, noise and it's just he's found himself in some interesting situations
0: but but yeah turkey the
1: turkey captured our heart in a way that we needed that to be around us for inspiration in that way so love it
0: you mentioned people on the property when we pulled in I mean it's amazing how many people are doing different things around here sure um And in the film, you mentioned that you asked for people to come help, and there you can see there are a lot of young people. Did you get woofers? Was that part of it? Yeah,
1: we had a woofer program for many, many years. We just transitioned it to an apprentice program. Mm -hmm. We kind of matured, and we we developed the program further. Um, So that apprentice program maybe started in 2021, I think, or something. Oh,
0: really recently? Yeah,
1: and that is – so now we take eight – people that are truly deeply interested in this becoming part of their future whether it be farmers but they apply it in many many different forms mm-hmm. and so there's four for each six month program and that you can find on our website all about that okay. program mm-hmm. um, but yeah we did woof- woofing for many years yeah my husband and, and I woofed
0: in yeah. Italy for six months and uh, I I bring this back because the um, the animal thing. Well, first of all, not all woofers are interested in learning. Yes. yes. Um, and not all woof hosts are interested in teaching. No. Yeah. That comes from lots of experience. Um,
1: that's part of where we had to transition. I to feel apprentice.
0: that. Yeah, I could see and that. We
1: also got to the point that we were using it in a lot of ways to, um, to find people that might come on board to the team yeah. and the Woof program has a transient quality to it that's great yeah. yes but yet whenever you're looking for someone that's wanting to stay then yeah. and not all it might only be one every couple times that we end up
0: hiring but we just needed it to transform sure for sure well um while i was at a goat farm um up in the dolomite mountains with my husband they went the first day we arrived they were harvesting goats Mm-hmm And it was so disturbing to me. I mean, I just did not grow up. That's not, it's not native to me. Um, and there was like blood running down this little culvert and it was just so hard to take. Um, and then I, as we were working and mucking out stalls and setting up electric fences on like, you know, 60 degree inclines <laughs> in the dirty. mountains, <laughs> slipping down the grass. But these these farmers knew what they were doing. I mean, they had all of these principles that you are practicing here. They were doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was beautiful to see. But um, I got really attached to this one little goat. Mm-hmm. And it was hard because... I just, it's like that, you can't get too close. It's that feeling of, I mean, these goats were being harvested for meat. Yeah. And anyway, it just comes to mind that, that push and pull of, you know, affection. But oh, it's just like being friends with people or falling in love, right? Which, totally. How close do I get? And um, anyway, it's cool to see that all play out here. Yeah.
1: There's some, there's some quote that, um, I can't remember, it's some amazing philosophers you know thought about these things forever but that um talks about that kind of oh gosh I'm like blanking on even what I was going to say right then
0: um, love affection yeah
1: the love of oh uh shoot I've totally lost it but <laughs> you it's oh 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 I thought of it yes it's the amount of like, um, the amount you're willing to accept the loss, like the grief part of it is the amount that you have the capacity for the love. Yes, exactly. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's like an interesting thing and it's not easy and it's not like you have to force yourself into areas where you're not comfortable. I mean, it's what's right for me and isn't necessarily right for anybody else, but there is a lot of, there is a pair, there's something that you can start to tap into to understand that the the slaughtering of the animal does not have to stand in the way of the love of the animal hmm. that's it's they aren't against each other yeah or mutually and exclusive it, yeah, yeah exactly like you can absolutely love that animal and use that animal to, but the key, so I was a vegetarian from Mm. nine until 27 or so. And I wrestled with all of these things. It comes from a very deep place where I had to think all the way through it because I lost my health in my twenties because my body definitely needs animal products. And so as I started to crawl back and, and find my health, I recognized I was going to have to start eating animals. Mm. And so it became about, honoring that life in the highest way if I was going to eat this animal. So that's a foundation of our animal program is that kind of understanding. And then I went so far as to then we were going to slaughter our chickens. And so I wanted to do it here because I wanted Mm -hmm. to understand that in full. And the process is always a heavy day. But when you, uh, beforehand, you feel like, oh, this is coming, this is coming. But then you enter the day and there's such this like sense of team around it Mm -hmm. where you bond with the human ecosystem of what it is. But you also we would pray before we would we would slaughter the animal and Mm -hmm. then we would honor that animal all the way through. And I accepted that I needed to. try then to live my highest light, because if I was gonna take in that energy, then I wanted to honor what that energy was.
0: Not for nothing. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. you, you
1: just go to, you know, a farmer who raises animals for meat, they have loved those animals. Mm-hmm. Like you you can't, it's not, to, to villainize them is mm-hmm. to really miss the boat of mm-hmm. what that, the care inside that person's heart, that person would feel very misunderstood for that. Well,
0: the, the kind of farmer that comes from a, the same place you do. Yes,
1: that comes, yes. Not
0: the billion chickens in the, you know. Yeah,
1: they might have disconnected more from yeah. what the natural uh, world would yeah. potentially support. And so, um, so yes. And it. I had one experience one time where, um, we did make a mistake that didn't feel right. We had, we didn't have the right crates at that point, And we brought chickens down in literally garbage cans. They were in like, mm-hmm. you know, four of them in the bottom of it and brought them down. It's all we had, you know, we didn't have all the equipment and, uh, it had gotten a little warm. And so they got, um, they were suffocating inside. Yeah. It was getting hot. and whenever we saw what was going on, we were like, oh my gosh, what's, and so we quickly processed them so that we would be able to, um, you know, have their suffering alleviated as Mm -hmm. much as possible. But that night I was in the shower and I had this feeling of heaviness and I realized that it was grief and that I needed to cry and I cried. And then I realized that I experienced grief from that day, which I never experienced from chicken processing before. And it was because something wasn't done right. It was my responsibility. It was my fault that that happened. Mm -hmm. And so when that consciousness is around what you're doing, I mean, it's hard. We probably shouldn't (laughs) go this deep into this topic because it's not something that, you know, is really easy to understand unless you put yourself inside of the vulnerability of those relationships. But it's... Yeah. Just because you are raising animals for meat doesn't mean that you're disconnected from, uh, in fact, you might be more connected. Yeah. I really appreciate the, that you say eating yeah. animals as well, instead yeah. of
0: just eating meat, because yeah. it, the, even that word puts you at a distance from r- what really is happening. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah. I yeah. had to, when I first came back, I the first thing I ate was a chicken and I had to get comfortable with eating a bird. I had to sit with All it right. and think about, what does it mean to eat a bird? Can I be comfortable with what that is? Mm-hmm. But my health at that point was depending upon me figuring out some of those those truths. For so, sure.
0: yeah, it sounds like that was. I was going to ask you what's one of the hardest days on the farm, and it sounds like that's a great example of a, t- a hard day.
1: That day when it wasn't done right, chicken processing in general would not be considered. No, no, a no, hard no day. But, when but when it wasn't when done it right, when it wasn't done right, that was, yeah, anytime you are. Uh, responsible for something else's suffering, yeah. those are the hardest days, and it happens because yeah. I mean we do it with our children. I you was know?
0: just yeah. thinking about those nights when like it's a horrible day, you go to check on them, they're sleeping peacefully, and you're just like, oh, I'm the worst. Yeah. I
1: am the worst, exactly. And that's where forgiveness has to come in, yeah. you know, and that concept that we're none of us are separate from our yeah. own humanity, and we all have all of the parts inside of us Mm -hmm. and it's just that process of trying to you know channel them all the parts use the anger where the anger is appropriate and use the this and not like mix it
0: up yeah (laughs) right
1: yeah but with those moments where you feel like this is my fault you know that's that can be so
0: instructive yeah if you don't bury it and let it like you know cause more trauma But totally but yeah if you can let it be Feel your it. teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Let it be your teacher, and then release it. And the 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 humanness that the forgiveness for me is like um, it's become the acceptance of the unacceptable. In some ways, hmm. it doesn't mean you know if if something's not serving you that you have to just continue to sit in the space of what that is. There's choice; you can make changes, but there's still an acceptance that that thing is a part of our our human existence it's in there you know and that kind of acceptance of that it comes from you can only it's got to come from accepting that it's inside yourself in some ways that there's and so yeah so those spaces of forgiveness are always tricky (laughs) to
0: acknowledge that we have so many parts parts are it's important yeah 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 um let me ask you where does the energy where do you find the energy to continue because this is I know you've said that it's not easy work, but it's simple work. Um, You know, like the, the way you go about it is simple, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. I I really appreciate that. But I also know, I mean, just from my own career, there are times when I get really tired of doing something that I used to be very passionate about. Mm -hmm. How do you keep the energy and the passion alive for what you do? Yeah, When it's I, just constant, you know, it's a lot.
1: Yeah, I think that it's um, the, the knowing that change and evolution is always alive. Like, it's always going to be a part of what we are. So, for example, at the beginning of the – well, one, on one side, it's picking stuff you're truly – want to be doing like mm-hmm. what's resonating inside of you it's like knowing what you like and don't like and going after the things that you like is the place to start yeah, in that good, sense yes yeah and then it's like a child because it becomes that like you would never walk away from a child it's just something you love you know mm-hmm. so it's going to be there in that sense um, but then it's also the change in the sense that Early in the farm, I remember I was walking up the hill to do the Monday morning or the everyday meeting that I did with the team. And I remember one day just thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't do it. I yeah. like am, how am I going to do this every day for the rest of my life? And it's such a misnomer because what I told myself at that moment was this isn't the rest of my life. This yeah. is today. And yeah. who knows what the rest of my life is? And now I didn't know that all these amazing people would become a part of the farm. And I didn't know that, you know, I would end up. Uh, having so many different versions of what my job looks like on this farm and so it's if you just stay in the moment of wherever you are it lets it change yeah you know and then it your different resources come in and usually it's kind of like having a baby how Mm -hmm. there's the transition right before you're done There's like a moment where every mom's like i can't do this anymore it's over and that's like the moment you're about to start pushing and be done yep and it's like those, oh, that's so funny! Yes. Yeah, yeah, those signs in your life of like, this is so hard, I can't do this anymore, probably means changes also coming.
0: yes, And yes. then it's going
1: to evolve, but it doesn't mean necessarily it evolves away from the project that you're working on, or it could, mm-hmm. but you know, it can just transition. Like the same things happens with children. Like you might stay committed to a child, but right at the moment, like four starts to get hard, it becomes mm-hmm. five. And then it's, you're in a whole nother yes. can of worms.
0: It's true. Yeah. It's so true. It's funny. You say, talk about the birthing process. I, I didn't want to use drugs if possible mm-hmm. to have my babies. And, um, of course it goes without saying that whatever anybody's decision is is completely great um I was just gonna shoot for that yeah and at one point I asked the nurse I said I'm having a really hard time not asking for drugs and she said oh honey it's too late (sighs) like baby's gonna be here any minute now (laughs) and it was just like you're saying where you you think oh no I'm at the end and it's like well you can go a little further yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) you can go a little further exactly um I wanted to ask, I always ask anybody on here, um, if it were the last day of your life and you were like, you know what, I'm just going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate with food and with something to drink or many things to drink and people, what would you eat? What would you drink and who would be there?
1: Oh gosh, that's so good. I'd probably want to be in nature in some way Um, at this point in my life, it'd probably be... At a long table of hay bales in the middle of block M with some sort of natural dyed fabric laid over the hay bales. Sure, it has to be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, whatever was seasonal at the time. I mean, I sometimes have answered this question that, um, Myrna who helps me with Bodhi in my whole life, she makes the most amazing. It's literally just like a ground pork, but she takes it until it's like crispy and so good. Oh, love and it. we end up having mirnas pork and rice so often so sometimes I've answered that um and it could be but I think probably eating what is right in where I am so what's in season right then Mm -hmm. it might be that there's like a fabulous um elderberry kombucha that our neighbor made and Mm -hmm. that we're drinking that so that there's community and layers inside of it in that way and then um just having the time to be able to sit and connect with people that like make all my bells ring in my head yeah that would probably
0: be it that's good (laughs) no one's ever answered like people bringing things that they made yeah that's a great answer oh good good yeah yeah Yeah. molly thank you for being a philosopher farmer for sitting (laughs) for an hour and talking to me about your process yeah you got it thanks for coming That's it for this episode of the Consumed podcast. Consumed is produced and edited by me, Jamie Lewis. To learn more about my guests, to see their photos, to learn about live events, yes, live events, to join the Consumed mailing list and more, visit letsgetconsumed.com. you.